0: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Tracker Bros podcast. The Tracker Bros is my buddy Marcus and myself, Daniel. We are both serious fitness and tech enthusiasts, product testers, and wearable geeks. The goal of this podcast is to give you guys more insight into the use case scenarios for different wearables and apps to enhance your health and athletic performance. We want to give you a better understanding on what exists on the market and what your personal benefit could be. On this podcast, we will talk to amazing app designers, vendors, CEOs, and other people working in the wearable and app market, but also to ambitious athletes using tech to enhance their performance or just regular people trying to live a healthy lifestyle. We hope you will be inspired by our podcast and get some new ideas on how to improve your life and performance. With that in mind, enjoy listening, and always continue to perform better with data. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of our Tracker Bros podcast. I am proud to have Chuck Hazard in the house, VP Sales of Aura, the guys with the ring, and before we start, I just want to mention that we have a small conflict of interest here because both Marcus and myself we own rings, Aura rings, but we are in no way associated with the company Aura. We do not receive any form of payment or any rings or whatever. Although I would be open to a uh, three months uh, stay on a small Maldives island, full board, uh, all inclusive. <laughs> So Aura, if you listen to this, <laughs> yeah, I'm passing on the word to Marcus. Hi Chuck. Um,
1: so um, Chuck, you have a quite impressive impressive background. Um, can you tell us about yourself uh, on who you are, what you do, and what you have been doing, and at least uh, how
2: did you get to work with for Aura? Okay, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Um, My professional background has been as a software developer, um, and don't hold this against me, I'm I'm also a retired attorney, a lawyer, Um, but uh, starting probably not until my 40s, I got sort of reinvigorated uh, to start exercising again, and I was lucky enough to I um, come across a couple of guys that had started a company uh, and they had convinced, uh, I think helped convince Garmin to release a GPS for the wrist. And so I uh, was fortunate to get one of the first prototypes of a Garmin Forerunner, uh, which is pretty, pretty fun. And then over time, I, you know, started testing for other companies as sort of a side hobby. Uh, including the Zeo Sleep solution, which was probably over-engineered and ahead of their time, uh, but you know, started getting interested in sleep, and then uh, thinking about how to connect the dots between uh, you know training, uh, recovery, and you know, of course, nobody back then had any solutions like that in the early 2000s. Um, but you know, I kind of hobbled together my own solution using Garmin Forerunners. I Got my hands on one of the very first uh, Ithlete, uh solutions that Simon has out of the UK. Yeah, so I would use a Zeo for sleep, the Garmin for training, and uh, Ithlete for my HRV in the morning, trying to quantify my recovery, putting those into a spreadsheet. And as time went along, I, um, you know, was kept looking for a wearable that sort of did all of that for me. Um, Finally, somebody came out with a wrist-based solution. I'm not going to mention the company name, but uh, but the problem with that for me is although it seemed to work pretty darn well, uh, I didn't like wearing two wrist devices, uh, a Garmin and uh, this other device. Um, so, But anyway, I, I used that solution for a while and then uh, saw the or ring on Kickstarter, uh, picked up a ring, uh, reached out to the founders. They were i um, grateful enough, uh, gracious enough to jump on a call with me and spoke to them for a while. And then uh, over the, the next few months, met a few uh, employees at different venues like the Sleep Conference. that was in Denver, Colorado at the time when I was living there. And then um, Biohacker, uh, Dave Asprey's Biohackers uh, Conference in Pasadena. Uh, So I kept in touch with them and then eventually in the fall of 2016 they asked me if I wanted to join the company and I said sure. So I started in November 2016.
1: Okay, cool. Um, As I told you guys before, a very impressive background of Chuck. Um, Chuck, you mentioned uh, exercise before. So um, what sports do you do? Have you chosen it because it's fun or for a particular health reason?
2: Well, uh, I originally, you know, did a lot of uh, mountain biking and just road cycling. Just, you know, a lot of uh, multi-day events. You know, that were more—they weren't like races. They were just, you know, uh, scenic, you know, rides. Uh, and I met my wife, and she uh, wanted me to train for a marathon. And I told her she was crazy. Who, who the heck would ever want to go running? You don't know, <laughs> get anywhere fast. I'd rather be on a bicycle. Uh, but she convinced me, we signed up for, a, well, she, I should say, she signed us up for a marathon, uh, very scenic one, you know, supposedly the second prettiest marathon in the United States. It was in uh, Maine uh, on the ocean. Okay. So we, yeah, we did pretty well. And uh, got, I got to about miles 17 or 18 and my knees started hurting. So I had to walk the rest of the marathon. I told her no more never doing that again so two weeks later she signed us up for the prettiest marathon in the u.s which is in california on the ocean uh so we did that and that that worked a little bit better but after that i met a group that were into doing trail races and ultra races and so i started running trails and fell in love with running and it was more about the adventure than any uh idea that it was going to improve my health or longevity Okay okay <laughs> I can feel you um, I hated running
1: uh, two years ago but I, <laughs> I try to, to uh, push myself uh, outside and and go for a run. Um, so uh, more to the aura ring. Um, can you please sum up uh, what the aura ring is and what um, what it's good for in particular?
2: Well, yeah, well, the I mean, the at least you know the way the aura ring was thought of in the eyes of the founders and and still pretty much today, um, it's it's more designed for helping people to live a balanced life. Uh, so balancing between you know how active you are during the day versus how well you sleep, and you know it's sort of a circle, right? So, you know, what I tell people is, you know, your day really doesn't begin when you wake up. It begins when you sleep because that's where all the magic happens. And so, you know, making sure that people could quantify their sleep in enough detail so they could make great lifestyle decisions so they could be, you know, the best uh, version of themselves as possible. And so that's, you know, that's the sort of the the concept of the ORA ring now uh, as a, an athlete, especially somebody that sometimes pushes themselves too hard, and uh, I'm not a, what we would call a spring chicken. I'm just turned 59 years old. Um, I personally uh, am more interested in uh, being able to quantify my recovery extremely well. And that's, you know, even though it's not the main focus of the Oura Ring, uh, I find the Oura Ring to be the most accurate. Uh, data collection method for heart rate heart rate variability and respiratory rate on the market so uh, luckily there are companies that allow you to take the aura data and import it Uh, two that i've been playing around with and i think you two have also is watson blue and hiv for training yes yeah and so that yeah that allows you to combine your training load from a wearable sport watch with the aura data and it it uh, for me at least, it's worked out extremely well.
1: Um, so you think uh, there is a typical type of user for the ring, or uh, is it for
2: uh, everyone? Initially, yeah. Initially, the when we came out with the first generation ring, for sure, it was the only people that I met that were wearing it tended to be um, sort of the the crew that says they're into biohacking or quantified self. Um, and I think part of that was the original ring was the size of a Super Bowl ring, so it, it didn't appeal to sort of the mainstream. Even if somebody was concerned about their sleep, I don't think they were willing to wear this big bulbous ring. It was a, a great fashion statement, but uh, anyway, with the with the, the new the current uh, new aura ring, it's uh, you know it looks as no, most people yeah, have seen it like a men's wedding band. And so it has a greater appeal. So we have, uh, you know, a pretty diverse uh, spectrum of demographics, Um, people that use your ring, everything from your casual, I want to understand how I sleep, to um, hard-charging athletes, uh, both, you know, the weekend warriors to uh, we've got uh, professional and collegiate sports team. We've got military, uh, you name it. It's all over the board. And uh, Prince Harry. (laughs)
1: Uh, Yes, saw this on on some magazine. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
0: Okay, so over to Daniel. All right, Uh, Chuck, I usually categorize trackers on the market into different categories, like for example, regular trackers, the good old fashioned trackers like the Fitbits and so on. Then we have advanced trackers for athletes that usually provide features for performance monitoring, which is, for example, the more advanced garments or Polars. And then we have a category I usually call health tracker, like Aura. Mm -hmm. So where does the Aura ring differ from the regular trackers? Because many people uh, in our forums, they mention the statement, um, Aura is not a fitness tracker. So, where does it differ from the Fitbits or lower-priced Garments or Polar's, and what makes it unique?
2: Well, I—I I mean, the—I mean, I'll blame Fitbit for this. I mean, it's an urban legend that people will maintain health and well-being by uh, completing ten thousand steps per day. Um, I won't go into the the legend of that, but. Uh, you know what it's or is really not uh, a step tracker. I mean, it does show steps because the market requires it. Uh, but like polar uh, Aura looks at your energy expenditure and then backs into how many steps you'd have to take to, to burn that much energy. So most of these, you know, trackers, like the low-end Fitbits, low-end Garmins, uh, they're really focused on just tracking that metric or 150 activity minutes per week. Uh, the OR is closer to the 150 minutes per week, but, you know, I mean, based on energy expenditure and a moving goal. But, but that's one thing that, I mean, a big, let me step back, is a big way that OR differs from the Fitbits and Garmins is the goal that we provide varies per day based on how you slept and recovered. And so you may say you may say you need to burn, you know, the equivalent of 250 active calories today, the next day it could be 400 calories. Uh but but on top of that we are moving forward in toward um making better use of data about the ring user. Uh so right now it just asks, you know, what's your gender, what's your weight, what's your height and that's mainly to use the Schofield formula to determine your basal metabolic rate. Uh, but going forward, we're going to ask additional profile questions uh, like, you know, what are your goals in life? Are you just trying to lose weight? Are you an athlete? Are you, you know, whatever. Uh, and then based on that, we can provide better insights and, and better goals for a day uh, because some people 400 calories uh, is just not enough because they're, you know, going to the gym and doing a crossfit or you know running marathons or training for a marathon so uh, that that's sort of you know where we're headed toward
0: okay you mentioned steps as a metric of activity i always see many times in our forums that people focus on floors and they get really upset when their trackers misses floors for example right. they climb 10 up And it shows only eight. And I always always wonder, you move the whole day, you do sports, you, you, you take many steps. So why would missing two floors have any importance? Uh, no this, yeah, yeah,
2: not at all <laughs> yeah. no 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 yeah, so that's the that people forget I mean a lot of people they do focus on like, oh my god, you know I I went for a bicycle ride for an hour and you know it didn't accurately track you know how much energy I burned during that well, that's just an hour out of your life and yeah, you've got the rest of the day where you're moving and there's a lot more focus now on, you know, not sitting for seven or eight hours straight. You need to get up and move, and that's part of our biology. And that's where people need to spend their focus and not whether they're getting accurate uh, assessment of their workout because it's such a very small piece of the whole day.
0: I fully agree. Nevertheless, Marcus and I witness a lot of users who focus on the floors, and some even say, I'm gonna return my faulty device, it doesn't work, it's a bad device, right? Should... <laughs> well, yeah, but, but these are these are the same people that
2: will, you know, go out and even if they're runners or cyclists, they'll go work out, you know, do a killer workout for an hour, and then they'll woof down three donuts to because they had <laughs> such a good workout, and that's just not how the human body works.
0: Uh, that's me, <laughs> <Da-da-da>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Three donuts is not enough for you. I guess, no, Marcus. no. You stop at 10, maybe. Or when the box... uh, 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 two K-Pops.
1: <laughs> two K-Pops. That's good.
0: <laughs> All right. So, Chuck, um, what data does the ring collect, and how often does it track the different types of data?
2: Okay, so, yeah. and This is a good, another way to distinguish the Oura Ring from other wearables. Uh, most well I'd say all wrist-based wearables, with few exceptions, use green optical LEDs uh, to measure your heart rate. Uh, they use that color because that wavelength can withstand motion. And so you see that in most of the sport watches. So when you're moving, uh, you have a you know it's called motion artifacts. And uh, motion artifacts don't really... I mean, it's easy to basically strip out the noise from a green LED uh, light signal. Um, Aura, uh, on the other hand, uses infrared. Infrared has the advantage uh, that it can go further into your tissue uh, through muscle. And so you can actually pull a richer signal off the body. Uh, But the downside is you cannot strip out motion artifacts. And that's why the Oura ring does not measure heart rate if you're moving at all. Okay, so what Oura is doing is it's sampling off two optical uh, infrared LEDs at 250 hertz, which means it's sampling at 250 times a second. Uh, that used to be the standard that sleep studies use uh, for sampling uh, heart rate, respiration rate, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's a very, very good signal. From that, we're able to glean... A full arterial pulse waveform it's a medical grade signal has all the amplitude changes and so from that we derive uh, clinically medical grade heart rate heart rate variability and respiration rate Uh, we then have temperature sensors on the ring Uh, other wearables have temperature sensors but for the most part they they use them to either determine how warm it was when when you're exercising outside or to see if the wearable is actually on your body or not. Uh, Oura Ring samples uh, once per minute off those temperature sensors only at night. Uh, That's the only time that your skin temperature and core temperature are very close with a strong correlation. Uh, This is part of our uh, you know biology uh, circadian biology and and you know I tell people it's basically so we free freeze to death when we we're li- uh, sleeping in suboptimal um, environments like caves way back when uh, so we sample once per minute while you're sleeping and then we have a uh, accelerometer gyro stack which samples at 50 Hertz which is uh, one of the higher sampling rates for motion sensors in the industry so all of that, data from those sensors is used to determine you know reasonably accurate uh you know one of the best in the industry when you fall asleep when you wake up all the details about what happens during that time period and then we use it to build uh, a readiness or recovery score and then we also track uh, movement during the day all movement uh, not just sport Um, but for those sporty kind of people Uh, Currently on iOS, you can import, as long as you can uh, define and write a workout to Apple Health, we can import that into the app, and uh, very soon we'll have the same functionality
0: on Android uh, via Google Fit. Okay, so this means whatever app you use to record an activity, if it writes to Apple Health, Aura will be able to read it and import the activity data to Aura. Right. You need
2: the, the, and all these devices for the most part do this. Uh, Fitbit is sort of an exception. So if you use a third party app, but yeah, basically it has to be defined as a workout. And if you have, you know, set up your Polar or Garmin, whatever, say, Hey, uh, save this activity to Apple health, which all of them support now, except the Fitbit. Uh, it is saved as a defined workout in Apple health and we can then import it.
1: Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, readiness and recovery score before um, I would call it part of the three pillars of aura. Um, it's readiness, sleep, and activity. Um, can you tell us a bit about these three pillars?
2: right as i as I said earlier, you know your day really starts when you go to sleep because that's when your body you know does all the cool things that allow you to survive uh, the next day um and and while we're on that topic uh sleep uh and you you guys have seen on the different forums on facebook and whatnot people put way way too much uh, emphasis on sleep stages i mean it's cool to see the trending but the science is not there i mean for the most part science ends at uh trying to get you know seven to nine hours of sleep per night uh for adults and regularity with regard to when you go to sleep and wake up, that's where science ends. Uh, they've learned in recent years that we have a, a lymphatic system in our brain called the glymphatic system. Uh, and, but this doesn't, I mean, most of the health people, and I won't mention names, will say, you know, this glymphatic system only operates when you're in the defined deep sleep, which is a bunch of horse crap. Um, your body knows how much time to spend in different uh, areas of recovery and restoration. Uh, it, the body does not think of it as deep sleep. Uh, it's either REM, which we definitely know what that is, and we know that there's non-REM, and it ends there. So all, the, all sleep is beneficial. So people shouldn't focus on deep sleep because it's a not very arbitrary metric. Anyway, uh, so then depending on how you, you know, your sleep, how restored your body is, um, you can use some of the metrics tracked during sleep to give a pretty good assessment as to how recovered somebody is in the morning for the day ahead. Uh, so that's sleep and recovery. And then what you do during the day is not only determined by how recovered you are, but you can make lifestyle choices that are suboptimal, which can then screw with your sleep the following night. So it really is sort of a, a, a total holistic view or a circle uh, of, you know, what you do during the day determines how good your sleep will be, how you sleep determines how recovered you are, how recovered you are determines how active you can be. So it is a circle. <laughs> True.
0: Yeah, I fully agree to the point uh, you made earlier that people focus too much on sleep phases. I see it almost every day in the uh, all the Facebook groups that we host. People every morning look at their tracker and they say, oh man, my deep sleep is 10 minutes shorter. Will I die? Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>, what <well, laughs> just- I do?
2: Yeah, I'll mention one name and hopefully I don't piss him off. But uh, Ben Greenfield, he's constantly posting about you need 20% of your sleep needs to be deep sleep. That is just not true. That, there's no science that says that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's hope he does not listen.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, no, but if anybody is interested in what, where the science is, the best book I found is, uh, um, now I'm drawing a blank, Why We Sleep. Um
0: It'll come to me, the, the author's name.
2: Matthew fully, Walker. Yeah, Matthew agree. Walker, why we sleep? Yeah.
0: Outstanding book, really outstanding, from the first page to the last, really. Yes. All right. Um, let's talk about HRV. This word has become very trendy in the last couple of years. Uh, many people talk about HRV, it shows up in magazines and so on. So not all of our users are experts in biometrics. So, Jack, can you please explain uh, in a few simple words, what is HRV at all and what can it be used for? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so
2: it, um, a lot of people uh, you know, would think that your heart beats in a standard pattern like a metrodome. Uh, if that was the case, you would actually be dead. That's the only time that well, it stops beating at that point. But I mean, you just couldn't survive if your heart beat at the same frequency the whole time. So the the spacing between heartbeats, as measured in milliseconds, uh, can should vary. Uh, and the more it varies, uh, the belief is from most of the research is uh, that shows that you're more parasympathetic. So you have two branches of your autonomic nervous system: sympathetic, which is uh, the fight or flight, so you see a tiger in the woods or whatever, that, you know, your your body goes sympathetic and you just, everything, you know, there's like 1,400 chemicals are released in your body, and the the only purpose at that point is to survive and run away from the lion, which actually is not a good thing to do because cats like to chase things. But anyway, um, the other side, parasympathetic, is more like the, the rest and relaxed side of your nervous system. So most of the research uh, looks at uh, you know, for recovery is HRV from a parasympathetic standpoint. So it's trying to determine if you're more par- parasympathetic than sympathetic, you're more likely to be re- recovered. Because if you have a huge uh, stress or training load of you know any kind of stress, but training load from the athletic standpoint, which is where most of the research comes from, you're apt to find that you know if you do a morning test or now looking at some of the nocturnal measurements. Uh, if you're too sympathetic, that shows you're not recovered. Um, now, as far as HRV and athletic performance, uh, we know what we know, but there's still a lot we don't know. Um, in talking with some of the lead researchers, like Andrew Flatt here in the U.S., uh, and Marco Altini in the Netherlands, uh, we understand it a lot more, but there's still a lot more research that has to be done to for a lot of these people feel that we can accurately use uh, HRV to gauge uh, an athlete's recovery and to manage training load.
1: Okay. Um, So uh, what other trackers uh, or devices are you using yourself and why? And how are they integrating into the Aura system?
2: I mean, I test a lot of different things. I mean, I occasionally wear Fitbits, uh, um, other, like the Motive Ring, um, Whoop, uh, Garmin. Um, I've tested a lot of the Garmins over the years and the recent models. Uh, currently, I'm, I've got a Polar Vantage M and a Polar Ignite. Um, I use those basically just to, as a GPS recorder and heart rate recorder. Uh, to get you know an assessment of my training load, which I, I then send into uh, both HRV for training and Watson Blue. Uh, and then uh, I, I, that data is pushed into the OR app, uh, and the OR data is pushed into HRV for training and Watson Blue.
0: Whenever I was chatting with you, Chuck, uh, and I mentioned whatever device you had it, or you had an early prototype, <laughs> or you knew the developer or the CEO. Uh, it was really amazing how many trackers you have out. <laughs> <laughs> You're almost like Marcus. Uh, you both <laughs> need to collect yeah. devices.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I've, I've used, like, uh, you know, well, not a lot of sleep trackers, but it had a, the Withings, uh, their original, uh, I had one of their sleep tracks, so much what it was. But then I had the... Uh, um, eight uh, when they were going through Indiegogo, eight sleep. Uh, I didn't find that very uh, beneficial. Uh, just like the bed, I didn't. They just weren't compelling.
0: <laughs> but anyway, okay. Um, when it comes to the feedback that the ring gives the user on activity, um, this seems to address more the regular or let's call it sedentary type of user than uh, the ambitious. Athletes. To give you an example, you every day depending okay. on your HRV, you get a target of kilocalories you should reach. Yes, this target is quite low for athletes. Yes, um, as <laughs> w- athletes, we would expect something way bigger. But on the other hand, what is the correct target? What would would make sense? So there is no science on. What is the correct target for an athlete? What level? So it actually makes sense that this is for people who try to l- reach a minimum of activity. You're correct.
2: Yes, and that's this goes back to at least here in the U.S. and I, I think probably in a lot of European countries, uh, the some division of the U.S. government, but they came up with the you know people if they want to maintain health and lower their, you know, all cause mortality, uh, they should get 150 minutes of intense activity. So moderate or high activity per week. And you're starting to, you know, have seen that crop up, uh, in recent years and especially Garmin's, I think the only one I don't think, uh, Fitbit probably has it too, but uh, Polar seems to be more sport focused. But that really is gauge for people that are just trying to main some, you know, normalcy of, uh, uh, to health. It's
0: definitely not uh, targeted to high achieving athletes. Okay, so for those high achieving athletes, what options do they have uh, in order to manage the load? For example, the Aura Ring would probably. Be- Pull them back uh, if they have done very um, stressful training. Um, yeah. and they would, they would, or I would say, oh, that was a lot. Uh, can you please hold on tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, athletes yeah. I mean, need overload in order to progress. And yes. uh, so, what do these athletes can do? Yeah. Well, as I mentioned earlier, and and I do, and and I think
2: you kids do also, but is, you know, I think you need to use a third party app. I mean, we, we will definitely by expanding the profiles, you know, athletes, more uh, aggressive types will certainly see that calorie target go up, but you're right. The science is not there that, I mean, even 150 intense minutes per week, is, you know, probably loosely based on a couple of uh, observational studies, but not true science. But for an athlete, you know, for, you know, doing occasional o- overreaching, I mean, you can certainly just rely on the metrics that, like, Polar would have on cardio load or Recovery Pro. But, you know, just monitoring Uh, you know, your tolerance for exercise versus your actual exercise. Uh, And most of the companies do a reasonably good job of that. So you can, you know, go into an overreaching state from time to time. So you can rely strictly on a sport watch like Polar or Garmin to handle that for you. Or you could, you know, use, as I mentioned earlier, the sport watch with the Oura Ring along with one of these third-party
0: apps like Watson Blue or HRV for Training. Yeah, to the listeners out there, uh, last week in our first episode of the Tracker Pros podcast, we had Ali Sigari here. He was the developer and CIO of What's a Blue, which is a load management tool that integrates with Aura. Yeah, and we uh, both
1: use this combination, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, every
0: day. Yes. Actually, both. You <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, so that's the blue? It, for
2: me. I mean, I, yeah, I, I tell people that, it, you know, it only, you know, I wake up in the morning and I, you know, I, I look at my aura data. I, you know, manually back it up to cloud to make sure it hits the cloud right off. I go in this, my sauna and I, then I sync. you know, I open up, you know, Watson blue you know, load the OR data, then I open up, you know, look at it, the results, what their recommendations are. Then I go into HRV for training, open it up, you know, load the <laughs> metrics. You do that it's, in it's the there. zona. I mean, <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, my phone hasn't died yet
1: <laughs> it's the it's same, same procedure for me every day but uh, without summer just the toilet <laughs> <laughs> no details please Mark. Uh, yeah come on <laughs> uh, so Chuck um, where do you see the near future of trackers um, where do you think well, they can improve
2: yeah i i mean i i think uh there's going to be a lot more focus on connecting the dots between training load and recovery uh i mean the the polar ignite is sort of the first shot over the bow um you know garmin has got the body battery which is first beats body resources as i think all of us that have tested that it 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 seems to be a stress metric and not really recovery metric um But I think you're going to see more companies uh, really focused on that because, you know, there's more and more talk among uh, some of the top sports scientists, not the sleep researchers, but the sports scientists are mentioning that, you know, sleep really is a performance drug, um, a legal one. And so I think they, you know, that group of some of the top coaches in the world for some of the top teams, be it uh, football, you know, in Europe or you know, our football here in the US or basketball, whatever it is, uh, that, that market is going to drive these traditional sport watches for runners and cyclists to focus more on, you know, connecting those three pillars between sleep recovery and training load. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Uh, What we see
1: uh, in many devices um, that they measure and recommend things such as body energy, intensity of resistance training, or if a user is sufficiently hydrated. Um, Do you think science is far enough today to come up with all these evaluation and advice, or are we uh, far behind now at this point of time?
2: Well, I mean, there, there are some wearable apps that you can now put in like every time you drink a glass of water. Uh, but but I think the shortcoming is, you know, where on the body and how do you best measure some of these things. Um, there, there's a lot of people starting to talk about multi-sensor, multi-solution type scenarios. So, you you know, depending on the sport, you might have Uh, a hearable, so something in your ear to collect certain data. You might have something that has a sensor that actually goes under your skin to collect other data, Uh, something on your leg to collect data, and they they basically all integrate through a hub uh, that uploads to the cloud. I mean, that that may be the future. I mean, there's already some of that in some of the pro sports where they've got solutions like Catapult and other things where they have motion sensors, and they combine a lot of different sensory inputs to – you know, to make, make the, the magic happen, so to speak.
1: Okay. Um, so let's switch to another section, um, general health. Um, there is a movement called biohacking going on. Um, do you like this term? Um, and what are your thoughts about this way of thinking? Uh, can, well,
2: yeah? <laughs> well, I mean, <clears throat> the term hacking uh, really came around from software development you know, uh, doing things that, well, anyway, I'll go into that. But anyway, um, but biohacking, you know, when I think of that, I I think the term uh, is kind of a turnoff uh, because I think it really better describes the people that are actually embedding sensors under their skin, like, you know, NFC, you know, to open doors or pay for things. Um, But, you know, I think the, the better way to look at it is human optimization which uh, one of the conferences that uh, was just held in London was called the human optimization summit and they changed the name because most of the ones that like came out of the Scandinavian countries uh, like out of Finland were called biohacking conferences and I think that turns off people and the people that were in London actually recognize I mean people can actually connect better with human optimization because we're not talking about embedding stuff on your skin we're talking about making lifestyle changes that are going to enhance your performance across the board, whether you're an athlete or just somebody that, you know, wants to be able to think clearly, look good, you know, be able to play with their kids, whatever.
0: Exactly. Uh, I'm a bit allergic against the term biohacking because many people assume that they could just, you know, swallow some supplement. And everything will be all right. And then they sleep like a, like a <laughs> child and they get old and uh, their HRV goes to the roof. And what I keep telling you is if you can't sleep or if your HRV is low, it has a reason. Right. Guys, change the root cause. Do not, you know, yes. try to find <laughs> the symptoms with some simple solutions like eating. Indian roots that are, whose names are five meters long and contains like 50 uh, occurrences of the character. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think society, they like quick fixes. So um, the vast majority of people would rather take a pill than trying to figure out what the hell is it working in, in their body. Uh, it's just like the same mentality of people that think they can out-exercise a poor diet, which is simply not true.
0: True, fully agree. Okay, let's uh, get to the term circadian rhythm. Uh, This is like HRV, popping up a lot lately. In the beginning, uh, before I started digging into sleep science, uh, I must admit that I belong to the people who assumed it to be some sort of esoteric voodoo stuff, like circadian rhythm, (laughs) you know. It it goes together with uh, healing and energy and all that kind of stuff, but uh, I learned better. And uh, can you explain to our users what is circadian rhythm and in what sense does the ring support circadian rhythm?
2: Right. So uh, when people speak of circadian rhythms or circadian biology, uh, the human body is, has certain keys uh, that sort of make it aware of what you're supposed to do during a 24-hour, roughly a 24-hour cycle. In um, different people, uh, genetically, they found there was a Nobel Prize giving out, given out for it. Um, people's uh, internal we ha- we basically we have a master clock uh in our body and it 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 uses a combination of light uh food intake um or lack of light um, and other things to basically determine what you 're supposed to be doing so uh there's a great book i'll mention about sort of the the clock <laughs> the master clock and having it different for different people um uh what's that name of that one um oh god i'm trying to blank here another one michael bruce uh what the hell is his book um it's about the four animals people have like their wolves lions um dolphins and uh bears um the name will come to me but anyway uh but so there may be some people that are late night people and some people that go to bed earlier but for the most part like over 50% of people are considered what he, Michael Bruce called bears um they go to bed when the sun sets or darn close to it and they wake up when the sun comes up that's a fairly normal behavior because our body when it gets dark if you not if you don't have artificial lights in your house which everybody has now um, your body will start uh, building up melatonin, which is a signal uh, that you should go to sleep. Um, but people now in society uh, blame uh, Edison on this, uh, have lights in their houses and lights in offices and nightclubs and whatnot. And most of the light spectrum is heavy in the blue inside at night. And so that basically, your body gets tricked into thinking it's noontime. Uh, so the middle of the day so the melatonin is suppressed you don't feel tired you do naughty things like drink too much alcohol whatever uh go to rave parties uh so that's not a good thing <laughs> no. so uh, who would, would
0: do that <laughs> 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 right
2: but anyway the, you know we we screwed up our circadian rhythms because of lights but in a perfect world when it got dark you might have lit you know a fire and you sat around the fire uh, and then you went to bed pretty not that long after the light cycle. Uh, likewise, you know, in the morning, uh, most people, uh, you know, without work commitments, you know, really shouldn't wake up much before the sunrise because the sunrise actually keys our body to start pushing, you know, suppressing melatonin and uh, cortisol goes up. Which you know makes you want you get you know, wake up you are chipper you're ready for the day kind of thing. But okay. because we've artificially altered light cycles, we've screwed all that up. But it basically is your day sleep uh, arrangement.
1: <laughs> That's something I'm going to tell
0: my boss. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, before tournaments, I try to implement as much of this stuff as possible because i want to be fit on the next morning (laughs) and i discovered that unfortunately i am a lark and i really hate it i Uh want to be one of those people who stay up late and sleep late but i my body wants me to go to bed early and when i go to bed later unfortunately my sleep end does not shift back uh, or not not much back so i really sleep better when i go to bed earlier and i do that before on the night before tournaments and it's amazing how much better the sleep gets if you do all this stuff that you mentioned like going to bed earlier switching off lights uh trying to avoid (laughs) you know screen And And i I saw yeah and i saw something
2: recently daniel you'd posted about asking or somebody posted something about red lights in the morning and you could think of like red lights suppressing melatonin. But in fact, if you live in a northern climate, uh, you know, especially in the winter, right, where it doesn't get light till later. Uh, red lights in the morning are actually not a bad thing, like on not just your face, but your whole like upper body torso, because we have photoreceptors in our skin. And that actually is what the sun has when it rises is a predominance of red uh, in their infrared far infrared. And so those lights do actually help right off of the morning to key your uh, circadian rhythm. Uh, But after that, you need to use, like, a Spurdy or one of those other blue lights, uh, you know, because as the sun comes up, it's more UV and blue light to actually make you wide awake, you know, so you don't get seasonal affective disorder.
0: Okay. I would like to see the science though, on uh, red light. (laughs) Yes, absolutely improving
2: uh well i mean the the science is mainly i mean is really watch the sunrise every morning but that you know that's not always possible where we all live
0: (laughs) yeah it definitely makes sense yeah okay uh i wanted to ask you about if any sleep stages provide better recovery than other is deep sleep more recovering than anything else can you sacrifice one sleep stage for another is it better to have more of this or more of that how does it work well the the human body will
2: determine the split between rem and non-rem and that's again really like you said earlier that's what people should focus on because that's really the only two phases of sleep science is uh, uh represent or talks about or is knowledgeable about. And so how much REM you get any given night, I I suppose, could be partially driven by, you know, how much visual and vocal stimulation you got during the day, because it has to do with memory consolidation. They know that from a scientific standpoint, Uh, everything that's non REM is more of the restoration, the cool hormonal things that happen in your body. Uh, the you know uh, uh, removal of toxins from your brain Um, all you know that all happens in non-REM and so you know the balance between non-REM and REM you know your body will will decide that based on your needs it's not something you're going to artificially alter unless you change make changes in your lifestyle that could interrupt that natural process and that that therein lies the problem is your body knows what to do but people again use artificial lighting in their house at night uh they drink too much alcohol they eat too late uh you know whatever the case uh you know that's that screws with the body's natural signaling and tricks the body into thinking it needs more of something than it does
1: okay um so chuck uh we realized, as we know you for a long time now, um, that you've experimented a lot with tools and techniques to check if you improve on your sleep, HRV, or other health parameters. Um, can you name a few, and how much did they work for you? Chuck, well, <laughs> I mean, I yeah. know you did a
0: lot of weird stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah no 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 but i you wrote yeah, all of yeah. that so, I, mean, there, I know it so <laughs> yeah yeah no i, I there's some stuff that that seems to work and or clearly works and other things that just flat out don't um you know so i'll give you some that do work i mean certainly uh you know dimming the lights at night wearing uh, blue blockers uh uh restricted eating uh windows uh certainly make a huge difference in hrv and i see that week to week uh during the week we we try to eat in a restricted window and the next morning your hrv is like you know above baseline uh and then on weekends you know you you see friends you eat out late at you know restaurants uh heavier meal the hrv takes a big dive um but uh cool uh, sleeping environment it certainly made me sleep uh, more soundly, so I had rest, uh, less restlessness, which is another good metric to look at from sleep is how restless you are. Um, sleeping in a hypoxico tent, which basically simulates sleeping at high altitude, that definitely destroys sleep until you get acclimated. Uh, what else? Uh, so you have that
0: tent at home?: Yes, yes
2: I. Yeah, we've had uh, We picked up one of these tents. It basically is like a a, like a sleeping, a camping tent. It goes over your bed and it has a compressor that basically strips out the oxygen from the tent and pushes back in oxygen depleted air. And so it can simulate uh, without the barometric pressure changes, of course, but it can simulate up to 20,000 feet above sea level. So Everest kind of things. So people tend to use these for like you know if they're mountaineers going into the Himalayas and stuff.
0: Then uh, you also use uh, a device that is called Uller, which I own too since a couple of weeks. Can you describe what this does and on what parameter this has impact? Oh right, so the Uller,
2: uh, 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 which is the the newer version of the Chili Pad. Um, is a mattress pad cover uh, that can do both cooling and heating Uh, but for the most part uh, again when people go to sleep at night uh, your body expects to be in a cooler environment again think back caves um, way back Uh, and if people are too hot when they go to sleep uh, you'll either have trouble falling asleep which is sleep latency or you'll be extremely restless uh, unless you drank, you know, like three bottles of wine, of course, but um, but so that that's the advantage of the Uller is it, it actually helps you sleep more soundly. I think for most people, um, it's an extremely uh, beneficial for women that are going through menopause because of hot flashes. Uh, and there's, uh, I know, the uh, founders of ChiliPad are engaging in several studies uh, to to look at those sorts of issues. Um, so that that's that keeping your room temperature cool can also achieve the same thing assuming you don't have a lot of heavy blankets um oh and one one other thing i should mention too that uh, i found works really well for sleep is um uh earth pulse uh it's a pulse magnet you put under your mattress and i have i've had one of those for several years And the current one i have has four magnets. So there's two uh, on each side of the bed below below my wife, myself. And so we sleep with that set at uh, 9.6 Hertz, which is sort of the same frequency you'd get if you went camping and slept on the ground. Uh, And they found uh, the Russians had done a crap load of research on this during the space race in the 1950s and 60s. And they found that it uh healed wounds quicker healed bones quicker and the uh method of activity on that is that it actually uh stimulates your mitochondria in your body um to upregulate the krebs cycle and so we do that and we found that helps us
0: recover much better than before we had it well this is impressive so if you turn it off can you really feel a difference uh, the next morning you uh, miss something or that yeah I mean,
2: uh, well, I'll give you an example it, uh, <laughs> uh, when when we we were doing a six day stage race in Colorado, and you know the one night we didn't forgot to turn it on and we were like really sore the next morning uh, but then you know the nights we slept with it, we get up in the morning like we hadn't even run you know basically a marathon and with lots of vertical gain the day before. I mean it really does make a huge difference. <laughs> all right um
1: so some sort of announcement here um as we all use the ordering um to track our sleep uh, daniel me and chuck uh, we are very proud to announce that we teamed up in our own tracker Bros ordering team dashboard on the web um, in this dashboard you will be able to compare your daily stats against each other um And you guys, as our listeners, are also able to join this team now. All you need to do is to to shoot us a mail at trackerbros at gmx.com with your name, and we will invite you to our team. Um,
0: Furthermore, (laughs) who? That's not fair. Am I really competing here against somebody who is uh, like... Uh, 20 years younger than me and another is a <laughs> cardiomaniac it's fair.
1: You, will, you will really really lose there <laughs> um, and as we uh, set up our Instagram profile we asked our listeners for some questions for Chuck uh, and we received a few um, the first was if it's possible to increase RAM sleep without extending the sleep duration
2: yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you're chasing the wrong thing. Just get get to bed at the same time and wake up the same time every day, and try and get seven to nine hours, and be happy with that.
1: Okay, so your take is not to uh, look at sleep stages that much. No, not at
2: all. All right. If, if you're trying if you're trying to change, you know, change something in your lifestyle, you know, the sleep stage trends might be interesting. But, you know, unless you're locked in a white room with a straw coming through a wall, which they used to do studies like that, uh, there are so many confounding factors. There's nothing you're going to do that you can eliminate other things from interfering with the result.
1: Okay. Um, So um, another question was, uh, as the Oura Ring V2 is on the market for one and a half, two years now, I think. Um,
2: Uh,
1: Yeah something around this um what improvements will aura ring v3 bring or updates of the current v2 app and firmware right
2: so i uh you know i can't say we won't develop a version three i mean any company that stayed with would die um but the current ring just like the first ring has so much capability. Uh, based on the quality of the signal we're extracting from the human body, um, you know I can't go into details of what, you know we're coming on the roadmap that isn't publicly uh, made available uh, or in the beta program. But I will say that there are researchers that feel very strongly that they can um, give a good indication if somebody has a problem or not for several health issues. Uh, for instance, blood pressure might be one. Uh, AFib, like Apple Watch does, uh, should be very easy for us to do. Uh, But these sorts of things will require, you know, more than one peer reviewed study, uh, followed by FDA approval, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So we'll leave it to the, you know, professional researchers to figure that one out. Uh, We will uh, continue to improve all of the metrics uh, that are in the app. Uh, We'll continue to provide way more uh, insights. Uh, So when you open the app, the the cute little things that tell you to back off today, uh, we're going to be expanding that through machine learning. And so personalizing even more, uh, you know, advice for the person. So, which is exciting.
1: All right. Um, And uh, will there some options be available for athletes too in the near future?
2: Yes, uh, definitely there'll be better support for the more hard-charging athletes uh, in, you know, everything from, you know, the goals that are set every day, which still might not be meaningful, but they'll be better, um, to improved uh, um, metrics like the readiness uh, will be improved to better support athletes. Wink, wink. (laughs) Um.
1: Another question from a user. Um, he asked uh, why there is such a big difference between the iOS and the Android version of the app, and why um, you don't sell the ordering cheaper for Android users.
0: Ah. <laughs> That's my favorite one. My, my I, favorite question. Yes,
2: having having tested you know all these different devices, the Fitbits, the uh, Garmin's, Polar's, uh, MotivRing, you know, you name it. Uh, Whoop. Uh, the Android apps are always crappy compared to the iOS apps. And the simple reason is, these people should know, is there are literally hundreds of different Android manufacturers now. They have their own hardware. They have their own Bluetooth stacks. You name it. I, Apple, at least, they screw up Bluetooth every time they release a new version of iOS. But it's one piece of hardware they control uh, with Android, uh, it's called forking. There, there is a very little control over the Android versions. And so it makes it harder to develop. That said, uh, and uh, you guys, I assume, can post this in the show notes, um, our chief technology officer posted uh, an update. Uh, not that long ago for Android, and it is rapidly catching up to iOS. So, no, no discount for Android users.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ad- advertisement here if you don't have an iPhone, you don't have an iPhone. That's it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question from the users um, How accurate is aura's sleep phase detection i heard there were evaluations that showed accuracy between 50 and 60 percent and this is uh, i'm adding this myself um i read the same in matthew walker's um why we sleep yeah Yeah. yes
2: i mean yes and yeah so there have very few uh i think the only two i really know about is uh uh is um Stanford Research uh, is only, the only group I know of that's actually done a peer-reviewed study of a wearable. And the only two they did was a Fitbit Charge 2 and the Oura Ring, which was the first generation. Uh, we came out, the, the cohort mix was a little bit different. So it's not apples to apples. We came out about the same. But the, the, the issue I have with SRI is they ordered two first-generation Oura Rings off Kickstarter they tested them with the very first firmware and algorithms. And thirdly, they only bought two sizes, a size 7 and a size 11, which they even admitted that uh, some members of the cohort, the rings were like absolutely huge, so they spun around. So that was not a good way to run a study. They should have had uh, rings that fit well, uh, plus you know a later algorithm. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> but yes, so 50, 50 to say but but the other thing I should point out too is if you had a professional sleep study done by a sleep doctor mm-hmm. and had two uh, technicians score your sleep, they this has been proven, I mean they read this research to verify this. They come out only about 80 to 83%. So that gold standard is not is far
0: from perfect also. So there's one thing I would like to add as I mentioned earlier before tournaments i go to bed quite early and i can still see a relative improvement or increase of deep sleep so even though Mm -hmm. the deep sleep uh, duration might not be correct i can really see extension of deep sleep every time i do this so you can at least see a tendency
2: yeah. Oh, and let me let me point out something too about uh, sleep studies, uh, like SRI did, comparing the OR ring to uh, the the gold standard. Uh, the sleep equipment breaks up your your whole night into thirty second chunks. They call epics. and so the fifty percent, fifty five percent, whatever it was from SRI, was uh, distinguishing between REM and deep sleep, like. of the time it was wrong. That was based on those 30-second chunks. If you looked at uh, uh, a lot of sleep data is represented as a histogram, so it's a visual graphic. SRI even showed this. The O-ring compared to to the sleep study, PSG, they looked almost exactly the same. So in the big picture, the O-ring is actually very close to PSG for that cohort.
0: Yeah, th- just those thirty-second chunks. They were not at the place. Right, five percent of the time.
2: Yeah, but yeah. if you look at the big picture for the whole night, they were actually very close.
0: Yeah, but as we learned, I'll send you the focus... <laughs> Yeah, why not? Uh, please post it in our Aura group. Uh, yeah, yeah. But as we learned today, uh, don't look at your sleep phases anyway. Focus right. on sleep duration and go to bed earlier sleep long
1: have a good sleep hygiene yes
0: okay next question um this comes from a very anonymous user he's he's a very shy guy and he does not <laughs> want to be named and his question is what do you like about our tracker bros community why have you agreed to join our podcast and again i'm not telling you any names <laughs>
2: uh i just you know i i you know since i first started talking to marcus and then you daniel uh i just i enjoy people that are curious and inquisitive and and actually understand when there's supportive science and not you know to distinguish between the pure marketing bullshit and reality and so that's what attracted me to the tracker bros is just the honesty openness and willing to challenge people who are just spewing the uh, the marketing bullshit.
0: Exactly, but I feel it's like a fight against windmills. Those marketing statements—they <laughs> are so solid. They're in the users' heads, and I'm fighting against them every day, together with Marcus. Yeah, the it thing- becomes a cult. <laughs> yeah, <really. laughs> and
1: and keep in mind, uh, this this uh, statement comes from the VP sales of Aura.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no 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 hey yeah, you're right right no but i yeah, well most of what i've said i'm speaking as, as an individual as myself not necessarily the or being a or employee i these are things that i believe in and yeah. not necessarily what the company believes in so i'm just telling you yes we as a company have you know succumbed to some of the marketing pressures like showing steps in the app uh because the market demands it by showing the detailed seep statement as the market <laughs> you know, requires it by having messages that speak about deep sleep being significant for restoration because the market demands it.
1: Okay. Um, So talking about the market, um, Chuck, can you provide our listeners with some
2: uh, discount code for the Aura Ring? Uh yes, so it's uh and you're gonna put this in the show notes because nobody's gonna remember this. Yeah. Uh HTTPS colon forward slash forward slash aura ring O-U-R-A-R-I-N-G dot com forward slash tracker bros.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um and as he said, uh we will post this into the show notes, the link. Uh and no it's not an affiliate link we do not get anything from this code it's just a gift from us to our community um and it's uh, it has an expiration date chuck when will it expire? Uh, yeah so
2: so the well the the link will expire roughly 10 days after this goes live uh and it is good for 50 uh dollars or 50 euros off uh a, a, an ring purchase so roughly 10 days.
1: Very nice. Thank you. I
0: appreciate that very much. Great. Yes. So uh, Chuck, it was really a pleasure to have you here. The Chuck Norris of the fitness tracker industry. <laughs> <laughs> so the first name cannot be a coincidence. Uh, uh, yeah. Thanks a lot for coming over. And, well, thank uh, you guys. <laughs> have a good day. Yes. Yeah. I'm going to go out and see if I can find some ticks. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.